Here we go, church. Well, good morning again. Those that are joining us online, we're glad that you're here as well. So glad that you could tune in with us today. I'm thankful for technology in that way. Man, it's, it's cool. We're able to go. Uh, well, if you've got your Bibles with you, let's go right to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to just pick up here right away. Uh, and, you know, just again, uh, just to reiterate a couple things, you know, the season that we're in as a church is for you and I to get established, getting rooted in the Word of God, like what Pastor Jamie was just saying, but to get our roots really strengthened and solid. Maybe you've been established for a while. Well, it's good just to get established, but to continue to have that established. And for those that are maybe kind of newish, I'm going, I'm going to get reestablished in some of these things. It's crucial for the time frame that we're in. Because again, in these last days, it's crucial that we as a church are strong, not just because of what's coming against us, but because there are many that have to be brought into the kingdom. And so what does the Lord need? He needs a strong witness in this earth. I don't know about you, but I hate weak. Anybody, you know, anybody like weak coffee? Throw a show of hands. Weak coffee, anybody? No, weak tea, any for the tea drinkers. No, you got to steep that thing. You put that thing in there. I want some strong tea. It's hard to say that masculine, but you understand what I'm saying, right? And same when you're going to put some cream in there, like why put, you know, skim milk in when you could put 36% in there? We're by 36%ers around. Come on, come on. Yum, 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 yum. Yes, we want it strong. Come on, say it with me, Strong. We don't like anything weak. We like some strength. And so this is what we're doing as a church is just getting strong. God did not raise Jesus from the dead. And Jesus, you know, barely came out of the grave, got two teeth missing. Boy, that was rough. No, he rose up and he said, all power and authority is given unto me. Now you go. So there's nothing weak about this gospel. There's nothing weak about our king. He is all strong. And since he is strong, he wants us strong. So Colossians chapter two and verse six, it says this, in the same way that you received Jesus our Lord as Lord and the Messiah by faith, notice this, he says, continue your journey of faith, progressing further into your union with him. That sounds like, all right, this is what we're doing. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It doesn't stop there. Now I have to continue in it. Verse seven, he goes on to say, your spiritual roots Go deeply into whose life? His life. Come on, say it with me. His life. What are we getting rooted and established in? His life. As you are continually infused with strength, encouraged in every way, for you are established in the faith you have absorbed, and you are enriched as you are devoted to him. I don't know about you, but that just sounds like strong all over, right? Now, let's go here for a moment. So what we're taking the time to is intentionally strengthen ourselves in our union with him. How do we do that? Well, there's one or the first side of the coin is this. Strength is the result of knowing God. Now, a question that I just want to really present to you and I is this, is can we actually know God? Is it possible to actually know this creator? It's easy to say yes. It's, well, Yeah. Okay, well, I want to show you a couple things because a lot of times, I don't know what your mindset is or, you know, different opportunities that I've had to talk with people. A distant being, he's such a, you know, a distant deity that it's very hard to try to connect with him. And a lot of times people look at the natural world trying to connect to him. And that's, I want to just, you know, bring that to your, 
challenge you a little bit because you can't just bring God down. He is the creator. You can't all of a sudden understand God through creation. There's times where you, don't get me wrong, you can understand some of the things that he does and how he operates. But if we just try to bring God down to our image, bring God down to our level of understanding, you will have a hard time figuring him out. So instead, I want to just present something to you. Look at this in Hebrews uh, chapter 8. And it says, God revealed the defect, again, talking and limitation uh, of the first covenant or the covenant that he had with Israel. When he said this to his people, he said, look, the days will come, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah by giving them a new covenant. So again, we're just answering this question. Can I actually know God? Is it possible to actually know him? The same way that I know my wife, the same way that I may know some of you, there's, there's a relationship there. I understand your likes, your dislikes. Can I actually have that with God? He goes on to say, verse 9, it will be, this is a new covenant, it will be an entirely different covenant than the one that I made with their fathers when I led them by hand out of Egypt, for they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I had to reject them, says the Lord God. For here is the covenant that I will one day establish with the people of Israel. I will embed my laws within their thoughts and fasten them onto their hearts. I will be their loyal God and they will be my loyal people. Now I like this. And the result. I like hearing those words. So here's the old covenant. The people weren't able to do it. Right? As we've taken about two years to grasp that understanding. The old covenant wasn't there for you to master because you couldn't do it. Right? It was there to point you and I to a hired man that we needed a savior named Jesus. He came and fulfilled that covenant. So the father is saying, I'm going to give this brand new covenant because y'all couldn't keep it. And here's the result of this new covenant. Are you ready? This new covenant will be that everyone will know me as Lord. Who's everyone? That's me. Everyone will know me as Lord. There, uh, there will be no need at all to teach their fellow citizens or their brothers saying, you should know the Lord Jehovah. Why? Because everyone will know me inwardly from the most unlikely to the most distinguished. That's good news. And then he goes on to say, for I'm going to demonstrate my mercy to them. I'm going to forgive them of all their evil deeds and never again will I remember their sins. Wow. Now in another verse, just a verse that I've been thinking on and chewing on a little bit, John 14, 21, Jesus talking to his disciples just before he goes to the cross and they're talking and you know, explaining all these things, that's what's gonna take place and afterwards. And Jesus said, the person who has my commands and keeps them, again, the commands would be to love or to believe on the name of Jesus and to love one another is the one who really loves me and whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will show. Amplify goes on to say, I will reveal. I will manifest myself to him. He goes on to say, I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. This is all part of the new covenant. So you and I are as close to God as you want. Not as he wants, as you want. God is not withholding anything from you and I. You can have as much of God as you would like. Because sometimes you may be looking at people and go, they're just like really spiritual and stuff. That's not by accident. 
How do you get real spiritual? You just got to spend time in the word and being real spiritual isn't some kind of like a, where you're just mystical and kind of weird and shut up and you're not just some kind of weirdo doing things out there. If someone who's spiritual knows how to live like God. It's amazing. And God has given us his word to reveal that. So part of being strong in these last days is just simply having a relationship and knowing who he is. Some of you can say, how many of you know he's faithful? Like you've not just experienced his faithfulness, although that's a big part of it, but I know that I know that I know he is faithful to watch over what he's given me. I know that. When, we, when Pastor Jamie just talked about the tithe, I know that his system in the financial realm works. I believe it. And it's not just go, oh yeah, I believe that once in a while. I have actually believed it to such a point that my brain has been washed to operate in that system. It does. I believe it wholeheartedly, right? Well, the, the world is just the, opposite, the same way. A lot of times people say, oh, the church trying to brainwash you. Yes, Absolutely. We need a good brainwash, not to the church. We need a brainwash to think like God. We don't want to think like the church. We want to think like God, right? Because <laughs> the world's got a whole system of operating. We get the world's got a whole financial system of operating and it don't work. Anywho, we'll just keep going on with this. So now the other side of the coin is how do we get strength? And this is what we're going to take some time on today is understanding now who I am in him talking about our identity in Christ Jesus. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Again, a very powerful verse that I'm sure any, most people could quote. But it says, if anyone belongs to Christ, he has become, not one day going to become, he has become. So anyone who belongs to Christ, how do you belong to Christ again? That's through an acknowledgement and saying, Jesus Christ, I believe he is Lord and Savior of my life. You have been reborn on the inside, right? Anybody remember doing that? Oh, yeah. Anybody remember rededicating their life? Yeah, you may have to do that a couple times. Lord, I'm coming back to you wholeheartedly here. Well, the moment that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that at that moment, the Bible says, you have become a brand new person. The old life, that old sin nature, everything that was connected to the devil is gone. And a new life has begun. Verse 13, it goes on a little saying, all of these things come from God. So all of these things, you got new life residing on the inside of you. Amen? Now, Jesus didn't die just to help you and I out a little bit because, again, a, new, a man in Christ or a woman in Christ is not merely man-altered. In fact, it is a man remade. So, again, the only way that you can understand who this new man is is you have to see a reflection of the mirror of the Word of God to see who you really are. You can't try to figure out who this new man is by your feelings. You can't try to feel it by the natural realm. It's not there because it is a spiritual thing that took place. You can't stand in front of a natural mirror and go, well, I'm in Christ Jesus and I'm, well, I'm, uh, I guess I'm better now. It's impossible to find on the outside. So you and I have to take time to go to the mirror of the word of God so that the Lord can show you now who you are because you are in Christ Jesus. You're no longer what the teacher said you are. You're no longer maybe what your parents said about you. You're no longer what your boss says about you. You're no longer who you think you may be. I am who God says that I am. 
And that new identity will cause you to rise up in strength in these last days that no matter what kind of abuse or torment or persecution that may come against you, I know in whom I have believed and I know who I am because I'm in Christ Jesus. That is the strength of the gospel. So look at this again real quickly. James chapter one, I want you to see this. But this is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct and instead with a sensitive spirit. So church, again, this shows me this is a crucial part to walking with God is a sensitive spirit. What is a sensitive spirit? It's not a know-it-all spirit. Anybody ever hang out with a know-it-all? Anybody enjoy it all? Why? Because they know it all, right? They just know this, they know this, they know that. It's, it's walking with an encyclopedia is not fun. Right? And again, not to, not to say that people, not to be smart is bad. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But there's just a certain attitude that they walk about with. Well, how much more with our Heavenly Father? He wants to reveal things, but again, He's not going to throw pearls before swine. He's not going to show, well, God, I already know that. Well, that's all you're going to know about it. So a sensitive spirit means that, Lord, I am teachable, I love correction. Three people said yes on that one. Because by chance, could it be that you may be wrong? My wife said yes, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm just fine. Could it be that maybe even the things that you thought about yourself or maybe things from way back yonder when people said stuff about you and that maybe you've actually carrying some of those thoughts that you actually could be wrong? So if God is our creator, we are going to have to allow him to tell us who we are and be quick to believe the mirror. Just as well, from a natural standpoint, you look at the mirror and you're quick to believe what you see. What on earth is that? Well, I tell you, the mirror of the word of God won't ever make you go, oh, dear God, oh, my goodness. No, I, I don't even look. No, it'll be, oh, I want more. I want more. I want more because when you see who he is, he reveals who you are and it's beautiful. Okay, so it's with, again, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature for the word of life. Listen to what it's called, the word of what? Life. The word of life has power to continually deliver you. Deliver you from what? Whatever kind of label somebody may have thrown at you. <laughs> He's gonna able to deliver you and I. Another just quick example of this. Anybody ever watch the show The Voice? Anybody think about going on it? <laughs> I am. Well, you know, they have that um, blind, there's that blind one where it's like the, you know, the judges are, you know, all facing away and the contestant walks up in there and they start to sing. And what they're hoping for, the contestant that's about to sing, they're just hoping that somebody slaps the button so that they turn to say, I want you. Well, can I just tell you, from the word of God in the mirror, you don't have to perform before God to go, I want you. The button's already been pressed. He's already hit that button. And so you already have a father who's already looking straight at you going, I love you. I love you. Isn't that good news? That you don't have to kind of do some song and dance and go, please like me. Please like me. I'll do whatever it is to take. I can't do splits. These will rip. But I... <laughs> I'm just so glad that I have a father who's open to me and have already pressed the button. Verse 22, he says, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it 
because that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry. It's supposed to be a poem written and fulfilled by your life. Verse 23, if you listen to the word and you don't live out the message that you hear, you become like a person who looks at the mirror of the word. Now notice this, and you see the reflection of your face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but again, not, you're just hearing it, not doing it. He says, then you go out and you forgot your divine origin. So if you forgot your divine origin, what are you living by? You're living by the natural origin. You're living by what's happening out here. You constantly are responding to the natural elements or the circumstances that the world has to offer. He's saying, no, 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 don't do that. Instead, verse 25, but those who set their gaze deep. Paul, say with me, deep. We're not interested in just surface, just scratching the surface here a little bit in the word. We want to get deep into the perfecting law of liberty you get fascinated by and you respond to the truth that you hear, what's the result? You're strengthened by it. And you experience God's blessings in all that you do. Why, well, that could be part of the problem is you not living by your divine origin. You're constantly going and show, letting, allowing the world to or dictate to you what is true, what is real, letting people's emotions now tell you what's real, what's true. No, I have to go to the word and allow the word to get fascinated by it, to see what the word says, so I myself can live free, yes, but also I can be as an agent of change in the lives of other people. Some of you experience the blessing of the Lord and the joy of the Lord is all over you. Don't allow the outside to kind of squander that. We got a lot of white blankets already out in the church, but we don't need them or out in the world. We don't need them in the church as well. When we hear about somebody going and God doing amazing things in their life, praise God. The word is working. It's exciting because God is watching over his word to perform it. And so much of the time we put, okay, God, well, can you do something in this matter? When instead God wants to show you who you are in this earth, who you are as his child. This mirror is crucial for the satisfaction, not only of your life, but of your family, of your marriage. I'm in Christ Jesus. This is what I do. It's not just my Sunday life. It's not just a gig or a show that I put on once in a while. It needs to become who I am, what I'm all about, because God did not save you just so you can go to heaven. He came so that heaven could invade this earth through you, but we got to see who we are in this mirror. So what we're doing is we're just taking time, allowing the word of God to show us and reveal to us the mirror of his word so that when we leave here, we're not going, oh dear God, I'm just useless and can't do anything. No, we're here to get strengthened and jacked up so we can see who we are so you can continue to fight the good fight of faith. God needs you strong. It's not just for a few people. He needs his church strong in these days. Why? The world is already weak. They're trying to be buff and all that kind of stuff. It is weak and we can see it in a matter of a short period of time. So now let's look to the mirror here. First John chapter five. Verse 11 through 13, it says, this is the Apostle John speaking. And again, if you read John's epistle or the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, if you read the gospel of John, same writer, you're gonna find that he has got a same theme all throughout his writings and it is talking about eternal life. It's the center of his theme, everything he talks about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. 
right? You know, all the messages, some of the things that you see aren't recorded in the other gospels because this is, I believe, that the element that the Spirit of God wanted to tell John to give to you and I, life, 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 eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. So I want you to, whenever you have or reading through John, always have that, those lens on that John is talking about life. So he says, and this is what God has testified that he has given us. What has he given us? Eternal life. And this life is in his son, Jesus. Verse 12, whoever has the son has life. Don't you see how simple this is? Whoever has the son, who has the son? By again, acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That means I have the son and the son has me. What do I possess? Eternal life. Whoever does not have God's son, what does that mean? There's a rejection towards Jesus, right? Those that don't believe in Jesus, they do not have life. Very simple. Religion will try to complicate that. And just try to say, well, you know, we're all God's children. Yes, I understand that to a degree, but we're talking about God now coming on the inside of you. That's what we're interested in because this life is what's needed to have eternity with God. Verse 13, then he goes on to say, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, come on, say it with me, that you may know that you have eternal life. So right now, believer, child of God, John again is writing these, this letter to you and I with the emphasis of you and I knowing that right now you are in possession of eternal life, not one day when you get to heaven. You need eternal life on this earth now. You know, again, one thing that the Lord helped me was so cool to see, but God didn't just send Jesus to hand out tickets on planet earth so people can miss hell and go to heaven. That's not just what this is. He came, the reason Jesus came was to get God out of heaven and into mankind again. That's the focus of the gospel. That's the focus of the cross. So eternal life again is not something that I get when I die and go to heaven. Eternal life has been given to me the moment I acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So I have to know what this eternal life is. The crowning achievement of the gospel is in Romans chapter 6, 23, we find out that death or uh, by sin, every man's sin, it equals death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So something changed. The first thing that we're gonna see is that when somebody calls on the name of Jesus, what has been imparted to them, what has been given to them, it says everything on the inside has changed. The old has gone away. What left? Death left. That nature, death left. That nature of sin left. And instead, eternal life was imparted on the inside of you. So you got it right now. <laughs> you, this eternal life is wild and what it's able to do. So now again, if you look at first John, this one right here, John is also saying it could be that child of God that you believe on the name of Jesus as your Lord and savior, 
But you may not be living to the fullness of your Christianity, the fullness of your relationship with Jesus, not knowing what eternal life, what it does on the inside of you, what's been imparted to you because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So you and I have to go to the Word and allow the Word to tell us and reveal to us what exactly is eternal life. Because again, religion has kind of you know taken that Word away and just made it so that, well, if you just say this prayer, well, then you'll get eternal life when you go to heaven. That would be horrible because basically you're going to live on hell through this earth and I just, Lord, I can't wait for death so that I can enjoy life. That's not what this is. Jesus came just to, he didn't come just to put you in a church. He didn't come just to, you know, all of a sudden make your life a little bit better. He came to impart eternal life into his children again. That's what Adam lost in the garden. Jesus came and put it back on this earth when he took all of hell's and stripped hell completely naked of every, every authority and power that they had. He said, life has been given back to me. And what did he do to his disciples? <sighs> Breathed on him and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And that would be born again. They accepted Jesus and what happened? Their spirits were reborn. Giddy up. Okay, so now again, questions that we have to ask ourselves is, do you know that you have it in your current possession? Are you aware of it? Are you living day to day with the mindset of, I have eternal life on the inside of me, right? Remember, Jesus didn't just die for me. He gave his life to me, right? Second question we need to know is, do you know what eternal life is? And do you know what eternal life does? So again, the greatest accomplishment that Jesus came. In fact, Jesus couldn't get it or give it to you and I unless he went through death, hell, and the resurrection. He couldn't pass us out in his earthly ministry until he did something. And that's what I want to take a few minutes to show you and I today. Jesus went to hell to get something, not for himself. He went to hell to get something for you. And having this understanding, allowing again the mirror of the word of God to reveal that to you, Satan's days of toying in your mind, Satan's day of robbing the blessing of God that you may you're supposed to be operating in is over until you grasp this. I have eternal life because eternal life is the foundation for every blessing for heaven to be wide open to me. I'm the righteousness of God because eternal life was imparted into me. Right? So look here in 1 Corinthians chapter um, no, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. No, shoot, guys, I gave you the wrong verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. That's my fault. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, it says this, to preach the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction. But to us who are being saved, it is the mighty power of God released within us. So the cross, what is the cross to the world? It's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, we know it is the power of God working within us. Right? Now look at this 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. And this is again the Apostle Paul talking to the church. And he says, For I have shared with you what I received. Notice, what did Paul, he had to receive something. I'm sharing what I received and what is of the utmost importance. So again, we need to highlight and understand as the church, as the children of the almighty God, what is the most important thing in the gospel? Paul reveals it. The Messiah died for our sins, fulfilling the prophecies of the scriptures. 
Verse four, he was buried in a tomb and was raised from the dead after three days as foretold in the scriptures. So right here, you see, this is the most important part of the gospel is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. In fact, most religions will acknowledge Jesus' earthly ministry, correct? He was a good man. He was a prophet. He did powerful things. He helped out people. But what they, where the difference comes in is these three days and in these three nights that Jesus went to hell and he paid for something. This is all of a sudden the reason why Muslims aren't going to believe that because they'll no longer be Muslim anymore. Now you become a born-again child of God. This is the whole difference. And in fact, a lot of times in church, this is the most misunderstood is what happened between the grave and the throne. Something happened in that time that absolutely changed all of history. In fact, to the point that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, went to Abraham's bosom and preached the gospel of what he did in those three days. And when you understand, church, what took place in those three days, you will, you'll stop walking around as if you're a defeated little bum. Oh, I was just kicking my butt all the time. That ought not be. Jesus paid a huge price for your butt to be kicked then. <laughs> so there's something. This is what, again, through the, what you see through the Apostle Paul, God revealed something to him, gave him inside information to not just what was naturally seen at the cross, but to see what took place in the unseen realm that God himself and all the angels saw and the devil and all of his demonic forces saw. Jesus, in those three days, took something from hell and he rose up in victory and gave it to his church. We have to know what that is. That's what we're interested in knowing, okay? So again, this is, it can be the most understood. What happened in those three days? Those disciples, they didn't understand as they looked at the cross, they did not know that it was actually Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that was hanging there. The Israelites couldn't, they crucifying and poured out the blood of Jesus, their covenant partner with Abraham, and they were completely ignorant of it. The disciples, again, after they followed this mystery man for three and a half years, they would ask these questions. Who is this man? How did he do this? Why did he come? What is he to suffer? And what's going to be gained for me in his suffering? They had no clue of this. Again, Jesus talking to them, he says, I got many things that I want to tell you, but you're not ready for it yet. Why? Was it because the disciples were just too, you know, I don't really want to know more? No, it's because they couldn't keep carry what was going to take They needed the, the Holy Spirit to reveal it on the inside of them, saying this is what's going to take place. Can you think about it? The disciples, Jesus telling them, well, guys, I'm going to go to, I'm going to die on the cross. And on that cross, I'm going to take on your sin. I'm going to take on sick, sin of all of humanity. I'm going to take sickness upon myself, every disease. I'm going to take all the emotional torment. I'm going to die. You're going to die with me. You're going to hang on this cross with me. We're going to go to hell together. And we're going to be raised up by the glorious power of the Father. And then you'll be seated with me at the right hand of, of the Jehovah. Disciples would have been like, come again. What are you talking about? So Jesus wasn't able to reveal all that to them because the time was not yet to come. He needed, sorry, there's a little hair or something in my mouth. He needed a moment. He needed to go get something for you and I, right? So again, you know, just as an example, Luke 12, 34, Jesus, again, talking to his disciples about what was gonna take place in Jerusalem. He's like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be handed over. I mean, think about it. He's handed over to the very priesthood that he established, and get judged by the very people he put in place. 
They're gonna yell at him. They're gonna say things about him. They had no understanding. And Jesus is sharing that with his disciples. And it says this, I don't have that on the screen, but it says this, but they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. So for you and I, church, we've got to get an understanding of what took place between those three days, what happened in the unseen realm. And the good news is God has given us his word to reveal that. When you look at the gospels, the gospels simply are a proclamation of the gospel, correct? In the book of Acts, it's a proclamation and a demonstration of the gospel. You see Jesus raised from the dead. You see the power that flowed from the church, correct? Now, in the epistles, which are Paul's letters and the letters of the apostles, those are simply uh, uh, the explanation of the gospel. So when you're spending time in, these, in the New Testament, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, you're gonna get a good explanation of what God revealed through the apostle Paul to say what happened in those three days. Paul wasn't there at the crucifixion, but God sure gave him insight to say, this is what happened in the unseen realm. Jesus, again, spent time on this, in his earthly ministry in the gospels. We see him dealing with the effects of death. Right, The fallen nature, sickness, disease. This is what Jesus would do. He'd lay hands on the sick and they would recover. We go, this is amazing, it's powerful, it's wonderful. Yes, it is. But when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, he was just taking care of like manager demons. Just simple, like, you know, not too high up. But what Jesus did in his death and burial and resurrection, he went straight to headquarters to absolutely tie up and defeat the CEO. And when you take care of the CEO... What happens to all the managers? They're just as stuck and just as paralyzed as him. So what we're finding out is, okay, what happened to the CEO? Absolutely stripped, completely naked of all power. Jesus tied him up and he now says to the church, you go. I don't think of anything greater than you and I fighting a devil who's already been defeated. We are magnifying a devil way too much. Look what he's doing. Look what God's doing. And in fact, not only look what God's doing, his church, that's us, are in authority on this earth. We got a CEO of darkness who roams about like a roaring lion. He's not one. He pretends like he is. He's just this little hairball walking around, looking for someone who he can devour. Who are people he can devour? Those who have not spent quality time in the mirror of this word to find out what God says about them, find out what God says that they can have and start boldly declaring, this is who I am. This is what I have. This is the God that I serve. Enough. It changes your paradigm completely. So we got to get rid of all religious thinking, whatever God wants. No, whatever God wants will not happen. Whatever the devil wants is what's going to take place. You have to fight the good fight of faith, and the Bible says laying hold of eternal life. How? By the good confession of your mouth. We're gonna get into that next week, I believe. But I want you to see this here, Colossians chapter one, verses 12 through 14. Again, this is an explanation of the gospel now, of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. It says, we give thanks to the Father. Why? Because he qualified us. Say it, he qualified me. Well, I don't really feel it. Nothing to do with that. 
This is talking about what happened in the unseen realm. He qualified you during those three days and three nights. So rather than going, oh, I don't know how that looks, just believe with, believe him. Lord, I believe that. He qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints, which is God's people in the light. I qualify. Somebody need to say that real loud. I qualify. What do I qualify for? All of the inheritance that belong to the saints in the light. That's healing. That's the blessing of God concerning your finances. That's prosperous relationships. That's the blessing of God all over your life. You qualify. Why? Oh, I've been a good person. No, because you accepted Jesus as your Lord and he paid the price for your qualification. Verse 12, he goes on to say, 13, for he has, what is that? Has is a past tense. He has rescued us. When did he do that? Three days. He has rescued us and drawn us to himself from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's where you now are. Verse 14, in him. Ding, 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 ding. Every time you see one of those verses, your spiritual antenna should pop up and go, mirror, 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 mirror. You're looking in the mirror right now. In him, I have. I have it. Look in that mirror. I have redemption because of his sacrifice resulting in the forgiveness of sins and the complete cancellation of sin's penalty. I have redemption. I have it. Oh. Now, just jump down here for a moment. Again, let's just, I want to make fun of the CEO of darkness here a little bit. Colossians chapter two. How did Jesus get all of that for us? Again, let's just, I want to go kind of jumping in and out of this so you see what took place. So verse 12 We've been buried with him in his death. Our baptism into death also means that we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him, Jesus, from death's realm. Verse 13, this realm of death describes our former state for we were held in sin's grasp. Again, at the cross, you wouldn't see that. You would just see an innocent man getting absolutely pulverized. You go, this doesn't make sense. This is horrible. This is, this is, I can't believe this is happening. But in the mind of God and what he saw, you and I were being liberated from sin's grasp. But now we have been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return for we are forever alive and forgiven from all of our sins. So again, the only way you can see this new man is by looking in the mirror. Verse 14, he canceled every legal violation we had on our record. So what does that mean? We had a record. You had a criminal record and destination was hell. But what did he do? He canceled it out. Well, I didn't see that. You got to see it in your heart. You got to see this. This is what the word does. The word paints the picture for you to see it. He canceled out the record of the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our stained soul, our sins. He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. <laughs> so Satan's only power is, do you remember what, you, what happened that, you know, about 45 years ago, you did that? You go, yeah, but there's no more record of it. Sucks, devil. 
I mean, it must be horrible to go to court with the devil regularly. It must be so frustrating for him because he brings up this record. Well, uh, uh, he did this in 2004. And God go, I actually don't have any record of that. Anything else? And he's called the accuser of the brethren. This is what he does. He accuses, he accuses. You did, you did, you acted, you said, you should have, you did it, you didn't do this, you didn't do And God just goes, I have no record of any of this. Because during those three days, Jesus absolutely blotted it all out. His blood made a mess of it. It's completely gone. I, sorry, devil, there's nothing for you to say. And devil just, <laughs> stay on that side. Everything we once wore in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Verse 15, then Jesus. There was a parade in those three days. Think about it, a sweet parade. I think Jesus probably threw out some, you know, cross stickers or something. <laughs> Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. He went straight for the jugular, man. And stripping away from them every, come on, every, 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 every weapon and all their spiritual authority. And how much of spiritual authority? And all, come on, all, all of their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. He stripped it away, click. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner, <laughs> they were his. <laughs> Only the Father and the Son had inside information at that time what was gonna take place. First Corinthians chapter two, even the Apostle Paul says, even if the princes of this world, the world leaders would have known they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. <laughs> but there was a plan that the father had all along. He said it in the garden. He said, my seed is gonna bruise your head. Amen. I don't know about you, church. It's time that we keep our foot where he belongs. Don't allow the devil up here. Keep him where he belongs down under. That's where he sits. That's where he resides. So all of this to say, in those three days and three nights, Jesus went to headquarters, busted Satan up to take back something that he couldn't give in his earthly ministry. And what was that? Life. 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 Jesus said, John 10, I have come that you may have and enjoy life. Life. Not just breathing naturally. That's all great. That's part of it. That's a result of something even greater is I have eternal life residing on the inside of me. The same life that the disciples go, who is this man? People would ask, how can he do this? How does he raise the dead? The foundation for everything Jesus could do was found in, he was operating in eternal life. Demons would scream at him going, who is this man? What, I, don't hurt us. Don't take us before the time, O son of God. And Jesus would say, shut up, get out. In a moment. And we spend all this time trying, fighting a devil who is way under our feet. So what do we need to have understanding of? I have eternal life. And this same life that raised up Jesus from the dead, it lives on the inside of me. So what else Romans 8, 11 tells us, this same life is quickening or making alive this mortal body. 
What does that mean? Sickness is not allowed to be on this body. Why? Because I got eternal life flowing through me. It's flowing through you. You just have to start calling to it and say, hey, eternal life, I have it. I acknowledge that I got it. Sickness, get out. Headaches, stop. Blood clots, get out. That is enough. Cancer, get out. Why? Because eternal life quickens this mortal body. My last scripture and then I'm done. Ephesians chapter two. But God, talk about where our condition was, how we were all sons of disobedience, verse four. But God so rich is he in his mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us. Aren't you thankful that God is so rich in that? The Bible says it's new every morning. Think about it. It says, if I were to drive a brand new car every single day, what would you think? Man, this guy's got some money. Driving a Maserati every time I open the door, I'm going to get a new one, get a new one, get a new one. You think, man, that guy is rich. Well, same with what God is saying about his mercy. He is so rich in his mercy that he's got to get new stuff every day. <laughs> you don't want to use leftovers. You got to get the new stuff. He is so rich of this, and in order to satisfy his intense love for you, what did he do? Even when we were dead or slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave you and I the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him because it's by grace, his divine favor that you and I have been saved. Verse six, and then what did he do? He raised us up together and made us sit together, giving us a joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by our virtue of being one united with Christ Jesus. I'm telling you church, you are well equipped for this life. There is no darkness that could ever overpower or overtake you unless you let him. So I don't know about you, but I just like to acknowledge I got the life of God on the inside of me. I got the life of God that's flowing in my house. I got the life of God in my children. I got the life of God in this situation. I got the life of God that's quickening my mind. There's a situation that I don't know what to do. It doesn't mean, oh, I guess I'm just stuck. No, I have the life of God on the inside of me. And you actually see in the Psalm, Psalm 119, that this life makes me smarter than all my educators. Read it. Is there? So this world that thinks that it's all wise and all knowing, guess what you possess? Eternal life. And this eternal life, quickening your body, quickening your mind, causing you to see things. Those of you that own your business, those of you that are working in a, in a type of business uh, area, you can acknowledge some of these things. There may be something that, you know, the boss or you are the boss, man, I'm kind of stumped on this. Call on that eternal life living on the inside of you. And guess what? The Spirit of God living inside of you will come to mind, give you an idea. <gasps> That's what I got to do. I need to do that right now. Follow that and watch what eternal life will lead you in. Can we all stand up together? Let's just acknowledge this eternal life. Come on, somebody shout it with me. I got eternal life. Come on again. I have eternal life. So right now, if there are things in your body that are not right, that does not belong there because of the price that Jesus paid, Talk to it from a place of, I have eternal life. I'm an owner, I, I possess. I got one whole part of me, one third of me is wall to wall Jesus. <laughs> mind? Some of you that may have sleeping problems or mind that you're just constant confusion. No, 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 no. I'm not a confused being. 
I just hear that in my heart. You stop saying that. I'm just so confused. No, you're not. I have a sound mind. Come on, say that. I have a sound mind. Now touch your head just for a moment. I'm not confused. I'm not confused. Why? Because I have eternal life inside of me. All right, bodies, knees, ligaments, elbows, shoulders, back. In the name of Jesus, I have the life of God on the inside of me. Life, his life, the Zoe life is flowing through my body. Get out. Jesus would just have to just, people would just have to touch a part of his clothes. And in doing that, what happened? The life of God would boom, hit him. A woman with 12, 12 years dealing with the same blood issue for 12 years went and just touched. And what took place? Healing just flowed. What? Jesus is horrible to bring to funerals because the life of God, all of a sudden he lay hands on a casket. Hey! This is what the life of God does. It is so powerful that one day it's absolutely going to change your entire being so that you get a new body that's just like him. This body cannot contain the life that's on the inside of you. When one day when Jesus blows that trumpet, we're going to be out of this thing. This, this body is limiting us. But don't let it stop you from doing what God's called you to do. If you're, like, if you're saying 80, you're 80 plus. Oh, I'm just old, I'm just done. If you want to be, you can. But the life of God is on the inside of you. I would start changing my talk. I got a lot of years in me. Man, your grandkids need you. Start speaking that life into them. We need your wisdom. Don't quit. There's anointings in the 80s and the 90s that the church has to tap into. We need you. So stop going, I'm just, I'm just kind of done. Please stop saying that. You belong to the kingdom of God. You got the life of God flowing through your veins. So you say, body, let's go. Maybe a little shorter, maybe a little slower, but at least you're going. Don't stop. Amen? Cool. Pastor Julian, would you come on up here?